Amen. Amen. I will build my life upon you, love. It's a firm foundation. Amen. That just ties right into what we're going to be talking about today as we continue our series called Not Your Average Joe based on the life of Joseph. And so we've been in Genesis these last few weeks and we've been talking about how God worked in the life of Joseph and worked in his life in such a way that he was far above average. And the last couple of weeks, we've talked about a couple of areas in which God worked in Joseph's life that just brought him up to another level. The first was response. The way that Joseph responded to things that happened to him and, and responded to God and others was far above average. You could see God at work in his life in the way that Joseph responded to things. The second thing we talked about, how God worked in his life and made Joseph a good steward, even when he was in situations with what was seemingly small opportunity and, and not much of a chance to, would seem to do anything for God in prison and in, uh, in slavery. He was a good steward of the opportunities he was given and God used him greatly in that way. And so... What we believe is that God didn't just do this for Joseph, but God can do this for you and me too. See, God's desire for your spiritual life isn't that you'd say, well, it's average. I'm getting by. But God's desire is that you would know him, that there'd be a vibrancy that comes from him, that you would really be able to sing like what we just sang and say, listen, I build my life on God's love. I build my life on Him. He's a firm foundation. And everything I do is founded upon this rock, this Jesus, and it comes through my whole life. And you know what? It's, it'll take you in so many areas to another level. Things that you thought were impossible, God will make possible in your life if you just put your trust, put your faith in Him. And we're going to see that again this week in the life of Joseph. So now... We're going we're gonna to just take a few verses. We're going to kind of catch up. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the passages we've already discussed. And then we're going to actually jump ahead. We're going to get into the story of the life of Joseph a little bit. Um, and we're going to take a few highlight verses. And as we read through, I want you to think, is this what you would like your highlight verses of your life to be? Let's, let's begin in Genesis 37, 28. It says, so when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. So here we go. Joseph, he's a young man at this point. His brothers have thrown him in a pit. They decide they're going to kill him. But then one brother who wants to step in and save him says, no, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in this pit here. And then they end up saying, wait. Here's some, here's some merchants going by. Let's sell him into slavery. And so he gets sold into slavery. And then here we get when he arrives in, uh, in Egypt in Genesis 37, 36, it says this. Meanwhile, the Midianites, that's those traders, sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. So he was sold into slavery and then he goes and he's in Egypt and he's purchased by this man named Potiphar who works in Pharaoh's, in, in, is one of Pharaoh's official. He works for Pharaoh and he is, he's a servant purchased there. And yet God works in that situation. God was with Joseph and Joseph stays faithful and he begins to move up in Potiphar's house so much so that he becomes second in command in Potiphar's house. He is over everything in the household. Things are actually, as far as being a, a slave, being a servant, things are going pretty well right up until he is falsely accused of trying to do something with Potiphar's wife that he never tried to do. She tried to get him to sleep with him. He said no, so she falsely accused him and we get our next highlight, Genesis 39, verse 20. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. So things had gotten better, and then he gets thrown in jail for something he did not do. I mean, it was bad enough being a slave, a servant. Now he's in jail, he's in prison. But once again, Joseph just continues to be faithful to God, and he slowly begins moving up the ranks in prison. Pretty soon, the warden has put him over a whole section of prisoners and doesn't worry about anything that goes on over there because Joseph is so faithful. And then guess what? Joseph gets an amazing opportunity. The chief cupbearer and the chief baker of Pharaoh get thrown in jail. Pharaoh was mad at him. And the cupbearer and, and, the, and the baker, they have these dreams 
okay? And, and they're there, they're in prison, they have these dreams, and they tell them to Joseph. And Joseph interprets the dreams. He says, here's what's going to happen. In three days, cupbearer, you're going to be restored to your position. But baker, in three days, you're, you're going to die. It's going to be the end for you. And so then he says this to the cupbearer. I mean, you can just imagine. Think about, he's probably thinking, this cupbearer is going to be back in Pharaoh's court. Here's my chance out of here. Genesis 40, 14 and 15. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. So he's, he's putting his faith in this cupbearer. He's saying, listen, when you get back in Pharaoh's house, tell him about me. Tell him about how God worked through me and I, I, I showed you this interpretation to this dream. Maybe he'll set me free. So he's got this hope. And three days later, sure enough, cupbearer's out of there. But a week goes by. Joseph doesn't hear anything. Another week goes by. Joseph's still in prison. A month goes by. Joseph's still in prison. He doesn't hear anything. Two years go by. Joseph's in prison. He hasn't heard anything about this cupbearer again. In fact, Genesis 40, 23 says this. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And so as we read through this list, these are kind of some highlights, actually probably lowlights, really, of what happened in the life of Joseph. Situations that he faced that were just downright unfair, unjust, and even when he had this hope arise. You know, Joseph probably went a lot of years without having much hope of either being out of slavery or being out of prison. He finally gets this glimpse of hope with this cupbearer. And yet it falls away. It, it doesn't work out. But the story continues. See, Joseph doesn't know that after those two years, Pharaoh's going to have a dream. Pharaoh has a dream, and this dream is going to be really important. It's going to bother Pharaoh, and he's going to try and find somebody who can interpret this, this dream. And Joseph will be called upon. The cupbearer remembers him eventually, calls upon him, and Joseph comes up, and he testifies. He says, listen, it's not in me to give you the dream, but, it's, but the Lord has the interpretation. And the Lord works through Joseph, gives that interpretation, and Joseph in one day goes from being in prison to being second in command over all of Egypt, being used to save and preserve lives all across the, that nation and really across that whole area of the world because a famine was coming. And see, that's what this dream that he would interpret would, would show. But right now, where we left off our story, it seems like his last hope, this cupbearer, has let him down. That's where we left off. And let's go back. Let's go back to the beginning of the story. When Pastor Brian began two weeks ago, he talked about these dreams that Joseph had as a, as a boy back when he was at home. He had these dreams, and, and there were these sheaves of grain. There was 12 of them, or, or 11 of them, that, representing his brothers, and they came and they bowed down before him. And then there were these stars showing his brothers, his whole family, bowing down before him. And he, he believed these dreams to be from God, but here he is in prison. His one way out forgot him. He's got to wonder, how in the world will this ever work out for good? How in the world will this ever work out? And let's, let's be honest here. We'd probably get a little discouraged. In fact, if it was me, I think I probably would have been discouraged before I was forgotten. Yet, here's what we know. After that two years pass, Joseph still has such a vibrant, real relationship, connection with God, that at at a moment's notice, he's able to come before Pharaoh and say, listen, God's got the interpretation, and me and God are so close, I can give it to you. Me and God have such a relationship that I can share this interpretation with you, even though all these things have happened to me, that doesn't matter. Those things have not defined my life. Those things have changed the setting in which God works, but they have not changed that God is at work. This is what had happened in his life. And see, this is far above average. Joseph would have never been able to do what God had called him to do without perseverance. The only way into Pharaoh's court to be in Pharaoh's number two was through enslavement and through prison. 
That was the only route. And to get through those two things required something far above average. It required perseverance. And not just your average perseverance. See, God had worked in Joseph's life to raise him to a whole other level of perseverance. And it's something that God can do in your life and in mine as well. But before we kind of jump into that, let's define it. What is perseverance? Well, it's really got a twofold meaning, okay? Kind of an active side and a passive side, okay? Merriam Webster defines perseverance as this continued effort to do or achieve something despite difficulties, failures, or opposition, okay? So what it means is it hasn't worked yet, but I'm going to continue doing the work. I'm going to continue putting in the effort. I'm going to keep going. Even though I haven't seen the results yet, I'm going to keep pushing. But it also ties in there a synonym, which is steadfastness. Perseverance can also mean steadfastness. So now while on the one side it's continued effort to keep going, even though you're facing difficulty, the other side of this definition is to be steadfast, which is to be immovable. You cannot be moved. It's to be firmly fixed in place, not subject to change. Think about this. So when God calls you to, to persevere, It means two things. It means to keep doing the things he's called you to do and to stand firm in the truths he's revealed to you. That's what perseverance means. And this same word steadfast, I just want to give you a picture of it, and I I didn't know that there's a better one than this. This word steadfast is used to explain the love of God. Many places in the scripture, now a newer version may not use the word steadfast, but that's really the word that's being used. It talks about the steadfast love of God. It's the unchanging love of God. Let me give you a picture of this. This is what it means. God's love for you is unchanging. That's why no matter how far you've gone from God, no matter how much sin has come up, you have allowed in your life, even if you've turned from God, God's love for you is unchanging, so much so that the moment you turn to God and confess, ask him to forgive you, turn from your sins, he's right there. Because his love for you didn't change. It's still right there. It's steadfast. It's unmovable. If you're here today and you say, man, I have sinned away, God. No, you have not. If you think you've gotten to the point where you have gone so far from God that God doesn't love me the same as he used to, I want to tell you that's not true. God's love is steadfast. It's right there. In the moment you would say, God, I'm sorry. Lord, I ask you to forgive me. His love hasn't changed. He he won't hold those things against you that hasn't changed his love for you. Now, God's love will be displayed differently from someone who's walking with him and not to the person who's walking with him. That love is revealed as encouragement and as giving him strength. To someone who's not, God's love, there's a sadness there. There's a drawing that he's trying to put upon your life. He's trying to bring you to himself, but his love has unchanged and his forgiveness will come in a moment. In fact, King David in the Old Testament, he knew that. When he sinned, when he did all that stuff with Bathsheba, here's what he said. Lord, have mercy on me according to your steadfast love. He didn't say, God, have mercy on me. Remember all the good things I did. Remember, I was a good king up until this point. It was just the one thing. You know, I got sidetracked. I got pulled away. But he says, Lord, have mercy on me according to your steadfast love. Aren't you thankful that God's love is steadfast? Amen. Absolutely. We can all say amen to that. So just like Joseph, though, we are called to live a life that has this twofold meaning of perseverance. This is what God calls. He calls us to persevere. So to stand firm in the truth God's revealed to us and continue to do the things God's called us to do. Um, and in fact, the scripture gives us a great picture of this in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. Listen to this verse. It says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. This verse, if you just kind of split it down the middle, it shows you the twofold meaning of perseverance. The first part, therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm, let nothing move you. Have you noticed that things in our world today, in our culture, what is right, what's true, what's wrong is constantly changing? I mean, it's like there's a new wave of some truth that comes through every day that that now everybody, we need to believe this way, but but Scripture says, listen, stand firm. 
Stand firm. Don't be moved. Let nothing move you. Hold on to the truth that was given to you. But then the second part is, but keep on doing the things I've called you to. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. This passage is a picture of perseverance and this call to stand firm I want to tell you it's not just it's not just here it's echoed all throughout the Bible especially many times in the New Testament many many times after Christ has already ascended in the time we are now in between Christ's death resurrection and ascension all the way until he comes again this call to stand firm this call to persevere seems to be in almost every book of the Bible why because trouble is coming. Trouble's coming. Peter said it like this in 1 Peter 4.12. He said, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. See, he wants us to be ready, because if we don't expect trouble in our Christian life, when, when trouble comes, we'll think that God, does he not love me anymore? Or did God not care about me? Or is this something that I've done? And, and he's trying to say, no, listen, don't be surprised at the fiery trial. Trials are going to come. Trials are a part of this life. Don't be surprised. Don't think that something strange is happening to you. All of us are going to face difficulties in this life. I don't need to tell you that because you've already faced them. But just in case you were wondering, everyone else is facing them too. All of us are going to face difficulties in this life, and Christians, are, we're not an exception to that, okay? We have promises while we're in them, but we're not an exception to facing trouble. And here's three types of difficulties that every Christian is going to face in this life. The first is just kind of your general trials and tests. These are situations that really, they do, they test our faith. They're difficult, and they're not fun, they could be the, they could be the uh, unexpected test results you got from the doctor. Could be a phone call you got you never wanted to receive, right? Could be a job situation where you just, out of the blue, you've had this security, you've had this job, and then boom, you get a phone call and you lose it. Could be relationship issues, okay? The list goes on, but these are times, really, that are going to test our faith. Uh, there's a book called Rooted, written by a pastor named Banning Leibshire, and he says this about trials, we love the concept of faith and pleasing God with faith. We just don't like being put into situations where faith is required. Think about that. Everybody, we sang all morning about faith. That song, Ocean. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon, upon the waters wherever you would call me. Do you know when you're out on the waters, if God doesn't come through, you sink. That's what, that's what he's talking about. We love the idea of Peter walking on the water, but who wants to leave here today and have, receive a phone call that says, okay, this week, every day, you're going to be on the water. We don't necessarily always want them because they're difficult, but they, what they really do is they, they test. They test our faith. They reveal our faith to us. And they're good. The scripture calls them good. He's, in James it says we should consider these things with joy because they're an opportunity for growth, but they never feel that way when you get the phone call, right? And we can all agree with that. And I'm not trying to downplay trials at all, not at all, because they're difficult. I, I had a friend, uh, it was actually, he was my youth pastor for a while, now we're great friends. He, he was one of the people who helped lead me to the Lord, and he had this unexpected test result come in. It's been a few years back now. He had, uh, he had gone, he was working, and all of a sudden, he finds out he's got a serious, serious cancer prognosis, and it doesn't look good. The cancer he has is rare, and I mean, it's going to be chemo, it's going to be this, that, and the other, and you might not make it. And he went through all this, and God brought him through, brought on financial issues, right? I mean, it brought on uh, health issues. I mean, he, his, his memory, especially for a time there, it's like his short-term memory wasn't as good. And I remember when I, I'll, I'll never forget when he, when he said this to me, because I, I would talk to him, I continue to talk to him, he's my friend. And he said to me, you know, Travis, I wouldn't go back and change it. I said, what? He said, I wouldn't go back and change it. I wouldn't go back 
and say, God, don't give me cancer. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't want to go through it again, okay? But God taught me things through that. God took me deeper through that. He, he did something in me through that that I don't know if he could have done any other way. And I'm, I'm listening to this man who's been through all this stuff and he's still dealing with some of the issues that have arose from that. But he says, that test, that trial, it solidified my faith. It made me grow. And while we don't necessarily like our faith tested, we all like tests. You might say, I don't like tests. I don't like trials. Yes, you do. Yeah, I'll show you how. How many of you, if you've got a procedure coming up, want to go to a doctor who's never been tested? Come on, raise your hand. No one, right? We're all glad that our doctors have to be tested. I'm glad. You know, if a guy says, hey, man, this is, this is great. You know, I read a book about this. You're going to be my first one, but uh, I, think I, I think I can do this surgery. I'd say, yeah, right. I'm gone. I'm out of here. I'm not, I don't want to be your first one. You've never been tested. So we all like tests, but when, we, when they're applied to our faith, guys, the reality is tests can be hard. Trials can be hard. And sometimes we come through trials in our situations, we enter into a new normal, right? Sometimes you get a phone call, and after that, there's a new normal of life, right? But what God's saying is, even in those times where it seems hopeless, God can take your heart to a new level of normal also. He can work in those situations. So we're all going to face trials and tests. Second, we're all going to face temptation. Okay, these are, some, uh, these are situations that test our faith, but it's in a dis- different way. It's really, it's testing our faithfulness. Um, th- Joseph faced this when Potiphar's wife tried to sleep with him, and that temptation very well could have been very severe for him. But what temptation does is it always tries to paint a different picture it's like this, the grass is greener on the other side. It, it tries to paint this picture where somehow, if you would just engage in this sin, if you would just accept it, somehow your life's going to be better after this. It lies. It only tells you part of the truth. And what it does, temptation will rarely come in and say, hey, you need to quit your faith. You need to stop persevering. But what it'll say is, would one compromise really matter? Right? You still have your faith. You still have, so what would this compromise really mean? It's something, I mean, a lot of times temptation can acknowledge one of God's commands, but it can make an exception for you, right? Like, I know I need to be honest, but I'll never make this sale if I don't just leave out some of the details. God understands. I'm still trying to do a good job at work here, but I just, I just, I don't want to tell the whole truth because I'm afraid of how that'll work out. Or in a relationship saying, I know we've gone farther than we should, but God knows we love each other. And see, it tries to, it comes in in this temptation. It says, hey, you're not leaving God. You're just compromising. Just compromise. You don't have to persevere in that. And see, these, these temptations will come in, and what they do is they look really good until you get the consequences. That's what sin does. It reminds me of this. It reminds me of a fishing attractant that power bait makes. Maybe some of you, if you're fishermen, you've heard this. It's a spray, and you can put it on your lures, and here's what it says. Fish bite and don't let go. I mean, if you claim it, it claims that if you use this, fish will hold on 18 times longer. I doubt that's true, and I doubt I'll catch any more fish even if they did. But this is what they claim. They say, if you use this, you spray this on your bait, Fish will hold on 18 times longer. So imagine you got this hard bait, okay? It's plastic. There's all these good fish swimming around. You got this plastic one with shiny hooks, and you spray some spray on it, and the fish are looking at it saying, that doesn't look right, but it sure smells good. It sure smells good. It smells better than all the other fish around here. And so then what it does is this is how the compromise works. Remember how we talked about it? It says, listen, I'm just going to take one bite and see what it tastes like. And you bite it, and the texture's not right. It's hard, but there's something about that taste that just keeps you on it just long enough for the hook to come through. That's what temptation does. And next thing you know, this temptation has become a sin that's got a hold of you and can drag you away. It's a reality. I mean, we're living in a time right now, guys, there's drug epidemics going on. How many kids do you know grow up and say, that's what I want for my future? Nobody. But it's just one time. It's just one high. 
It's just one step. It won't lead me to that. I won't end up like them. And you take a bite, and then the hook comes. And it's hard to get off. That's how sin works. It tries to drag us away. And we're all going to face temptation, okay? This is what's saying. We're all going to face temptation. But here's a third difficulty we're going to face. We're all going to face opposition. We're all going to face opposition. This is clearly stated. The Bible wants you to know this. It says this in 2 Timothy 3.12. All who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, ready, will be persecuted. Do you want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus? That should be every Christian should answer yes to that. Yes, I want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. Then it says you will be persecuted. Scripture often talks about the spiritual warfare that takes place. There is a real battle that we have to face. You know, and sometimes we go out there and we know God's on our side and we know God's bigger, but that does not mean the enemy is going to stop shooting at you. That doesn't mean there won't be attacks. There'll be times when you are facing opposition simply because you're doing the right thing. If you stopped doing the right thing, the opposition would stop. What are you going to do? This is where this call for perseverance comes from. It comes from, listen, there's going to be opposition, temptation, trials. We're all going to face them. But are we going to let those things define us? Are we going to compromise there? Are we going to quit? Or are we going to keep following? Because every difficulty you face provides you with two opportunities. Opportunity. It's a difficulty, but it provides you with an opportunity. And guess what? When these things come, we don't get to decide when they come. I don't get to wake up and say, I think I'm ready for a trial today. I can take it today, God. Nope. It just comes. And then I'm, I'm presented with an opportunity. I've got an opportunity to grow in my faith. I've got an opportunity to grow in my trust for God. But I also, like we talked about, I have an opportunity to compromise or I have an opportunity to quit. And the Lord wants to use these things to help you grow. I mean, here's a great example of exactly what this was like. Back when I was in high school, I wrestled. Any wrestlers here? Anybody wrestle? Okay, couple, good, no? Okay, just me. All right, well, good. All right, I wrestled. And our coach, he had this thing where week one of practice was the worst. It was the worst week ever. Like, I, I, would, I wish I could go back and like try and convince my parents to take a vacation week one of practice. Because my coach, he literally came in and he, he told us, if you were on the team more than one year, you knew this. You didn't know it your first year, but after this, after year one, you knew that week one was to try and get some people to quit. Like, what? Why would you do that? Well, he would come in and he would make practice two hours of non-stop, the most difficult thing you've ever done. And if you try to take a break or you try to slow down, he's literally saying, either you pick it up or get out of here. And what, what's going on? But what, what we didn't know was that what he was doing was preparing us for something we'd face way later on in the season. He was trying to get, it to get us to know mentally, up in our minds, that when you're at the end and you think you can't go any harder, yes, you can. And you know what? I wasn't the greatest wrestler, but I was in great conditioning because of our practice. And there were many, several matches where I beat somebody who was better than me because in the final minute, I'd been pushed to the limit so many times, I knew I could keep going, and the other guy didn't. And see, that's what the coaches were doing. They were trying to teach us to persevere. That, hey, when you think you can't keep going, yes, you can. You can. You can keep going. You can keep doing it. And so what we're supposed to do is what James says, James 1, verses 2 and 4, it says, I should look at that with pure joy. I never looked at week one of wrestling with pure joy, right? Week one of wrestling, that was not pure joy. I mean, I... I have you ever wanted school to be longer? I haven't, but that one week, I'm like, man, I wish school would just be longer. I wish I could get held over and do homework or get a detention or something because I know after this I've got practice, but it produced something in me that taught me to persevere, to overcome. Let's, let's read James 1, verses uh, 2 through 4. 
Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So he says we need to consider these trials of many kinds. So any of these different uh, trials, difficulties we talked about, temptations or just tests or opposition, we should look at that with joy. Now, that doesn't mean we're happy that we're in the situation we're in. That doesn't mean we're pleased with the circumstances. But God wants to change our perspective so that when we see it, we say, even in this, God can work for good. And even in this, God can change me and help me to grow. Because these difficult circumstances are what later on in life, just like in those wrestling practices, are what later on in life God is going to use to push me to another level so I can help others, so I can be used by him. And so you and I, like I said, we're all going to face difficulty, and there's a temptation, there's there's an opportunity there to let our lives become defined by the trials that we faced. It can, it's, a, it's a temptation, okay? And there, becomes, there comes a kind of a mentality with it that everything is just happening to you and you have no control over it. And uh, I've got here, actually just to kind of help illustrate a little bit, I've got a bottle of pop here. Got some Coke. Okay, I'm a Coke guy. Pepsi's okay, but I'm a Coke guy. But now, when we go through trials, if I was to open this up right now, this, this pop would be fine. This would be good to drink. I could open it up. I could drink it. It's a little warm, but it'd be okay. But now when a trial comes, maybe it's a little intense. You know, it's like, okay, you might not want to open that right now. Sometimes you get in a trial, and it's pretty severe. It's a pretty big shaking, right? Pastor Nathan, will you come, you want to come open? No, <laughs> no. But sometimes you get into them, and I mean, it is serious stuff. I mean, you're going through it, and you say, I don't know how I could get through this. Now, if I was to open this right now, how many of you would say, yeah, that's a good idea? Nobody. Why? Because it'd explode. Why is it going to explode? Because I shook it? Yeah, that, that sound, seems like a good answer. Because I shook it. It's going to explode because I shook it. But here, I got this. I got a bottle of water. This bottle of water is going to go through the same small trial. It's going to go through the same medium trial. It's going to go through the same outrageous difficulty. This thing, this thing is just terrible, even worse than the pop. How many feel like I could still open this? I could still open it, right? It's not going to explode. Let's try it out. It's fine. See, often we say, listen, the reason I'm such a mess about to explode is because the things I'm going through. But it's not necessarily the trial, right? It wasn't that I shook this that it's going to explode. The reason it's going to explode is because of what is on the inside of this bottle. See, that's what God's saying to us. When you go through trials, I can work in you That even though this thing would make other people explode, other people would quit when they face this. See, Joseph, a lot of people, maybe there's a lot of other people like Joseph, that their story would have been written down if they just kept going. We know Joseph, we remember his name, because even through the trials that were outrageous, he didn't explode. What was on the inside was trust in God. What was on the inside was faith. And God brought him through it. And even though, and listen, I'm not downplaying your trials. I I understand. And I think we've all had moments where something overcomes us and we respond in a way we shouldn't. I understand that. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is God can work that even in the midst, there's a calm. He can do that. He can do that. God will help you and I to persevere. Any one of the trials that Joseph faced could have been enough for somebody to quit, but it wasn't for him. And guys, today, in order for us, if we want to become overcomers just like Joseph was, there's a couple things we have to remember. And I say we got to remember them because, see, like I said before, the temptation when we're in the trial is to focus on the trial rather than on who God is. We got to remember a couple things about God, and the very first thing we need to remember is that God 
is with us. When you're in the midst of a trial, you can remember that God is with me right now. When you're, when you're facing temptation, God is with me right now. In fact, he's got an explicit promise just for that that says, when you're being tempted, I'll never let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but I'll provide for you a way out. See, God is with you. He, he will not leave you even when you're in the midst of it. And guys, we talked about this last week, this exact verse, but let's, let's uh, hear it again. It's Genesis 39, uh, 20b and 21. It says, while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. But the, the fact that God is with us, it's not even just a nice sentiment like, well, I know God's there, but, you know, and sometimes we could do that just in my, myself. I, I, I know I've gone through trials. It's like, I know God's there, but this is what I'm going through right now. And I know God's there and he cares and he loves me, but it's like it's, it's, like it's almost not practical. But here are some actual things God will enable you to do in the midst of a trial. This is what he says to you. He doesn't say, hey, I'm just going to be there and kind of, you know, hope you make it through. But he says, I am going to be there and I will enable you to stand firm. Remember, this is part of the definition of perseverance. And God made a promise about it that he will help us to stand firm. Listen to what God says to the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah was called to an impossible task. He was called to go and preach and wake up the nation of Judah who's, who were living all in sin. In fact, many of the prophecies Jeremiah had to make was, was against what would have been the pastors of that time. Their priests, their leaders. They were leading the people astray. And he's, God says to him, listen, you're going to go. You're not going to fear them. I'm going to use you. I'm going to put my words in, in your mouth. And Jeremiah is saying, listen, God, I... I don't, I don't know what to say. I'm only a youth. I'm just a young guy. I, I can't do this. But listen to what God promises him. Jeremiah 1, 18 and 19. Today, I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you. For I am with you, declares the Lord. I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. How about that promise? How about, let's read that second half again. They will fight against you. Let's read that together. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you. For I am with you, declares, or, and will rescue you, declares the Lord. I'll get it right one of these times. Okay. God is with you, and not only is he with you, but he can enable you to stand firm. Just like a wall, just like a fortified city, okay? Jeremiah was going to be in a land where everybody was doing a different thing. Every, the beliefs were different. The people weren't worshiping God. They were serving their own gods. They'd gone their own way, and it would seem like any youth in that time, that day and age, would be swept away. In our culture today, Many people just have gotten swept away by this because our culture does not serve God. If you, if you, just, I mean, if you just look at our, our movies, if you listen to the music, there's so much that would pull a young person away. There's so much that would pull us away. You know, you might say, I'm not a young person, but I'll tell you what, you can get older, you can get a job, and all of a sudden the allure of money can pull you away. There's other things, guys. We can, get, we can get pulled away. But God says when you're facing that trial, when you're tempted to quit, when you're tempted to give in, when you're tempted to compromise, I can help you to stand firm. That doesn't mean you're not going to face opposition, but I will rescue you. I will deliver you. I'm with you. He won't leave you. I'd encourage you. Maybe you have children, grandchildren. Pray this verse over them. Man, what a good thing to pray. Have you ever prayed scripture? I, I love doing that. And just take this passage and say, you know what? I'm going to put my son's name in there. I'm going to put my daughter's name in there. You know, fathers, the call to you to stand firm is so important today. Our kid, it's Father's Day. What a great day. Many of us have been blessed with wonderful fathers, myself included. But you know, today... As fathers, we have to be able to stand firm and help our kids. God can help you do that. Pray this over yourself. 
Believe it. Believe that God can help you no matter where you are, no matter what you're facing, to stand. So that's the first thing. God can help you to stand. But second, not only will God help you stand firm, but he can help you to remain fruitful. So remember, there's a twofold meaning to perseverance. It means I'm going to stand firm. I'm going to hold to my beliefs. I'm going to hold to what God has revealed to me. And God, he had promised he's going to help us do that. But there's a second thing, and that's I have to continue to do the things God's called me to do. Listen to this verse, also to Jeremiah. So same guy, and, and this is a promise we have. Jeremiah 17, verses 7 and 8. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made their, the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that re- reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stray, stay green and they never stop producing fruit. Now, here's a promise that seasons are going to change. You're going to get caught in the heat. There's going to be no rain. Everything else is going to be drying up, but you can be so connected to a source. You can be so connected to this river that even in the midst of a drought, you're not afraid. You're not worried because your roots have gone deep into that river, and you remain fruitful in that time. This is pointing, this is just pointing right to Jesus. He said he was the living water. He said that because of the Holy Spirit coming upon us, out of us would flow rivers of living water. See, when we face times of drought, and we face these dry times in our life, these trials, remember how I said it's an opportunity to either grow or to quit? What God would hope you do is take those time and let your roots grow deep in him. Because there is a source that can sustain you through the drought. There's a source that can sustain you through the trial. And guys, this isn't some, everything's just going to get magically better. No. God will work. God can heal. God can deliver. Absolutely. God can, can bring it together. We're going we're to finish with that. But even in the midst of the drought, you can still remain fruitful. What's this fruit mean? Well, remember what we talked about last week, how God's given us each different things that we can steward, that we can use for him. So that means even in the midst of trials, we can still be effective in sharing the love of Jesus with others. We can still be effective in doing what God's called us to do. We can, and maybe, maybe the trial you're facing leads you to where, hey, maybe it's a sickness and you can't go out. Some of the things you were doing, you can't anymore. Remember, you, you can still pray. The fruit of the Spirit can still be evident in you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I think I hit them all. All those things, none of them, think about it, that whole list, none of them are based upon circumstances. They are fruit of the Spirit. So when the Spirit's working in your life, even in the midst of the drought, in the midst of the trial, God can still work something through you and still work in you so that his life that is inside of you is still evident. It's still real. And you know what? Seasons are going to change. It won't be a desert forever. But even there, even in the desert, God's faithful. He's with you. And this leads to a third thing God will enable us to do in the midst of trial, and that is have peace. Have peace. Remember, we just talked about this. Peace comes from God. It comes from him, not circumstances. So if a circumstance robs my peace, that means I need to get deeper into the source to get into his peace. That doesn't mean there won't be concern. That doesn't mean there won't be tears. That doesn't mean there won't be crying. None of those things. All, all of those things are still going to happen. I'm not saying that, okay? Things can come and they, they rock your world. But God can still enable you to have a peace, the Bible says this, surpasses understanding. You know, I don't think, I, I, I don't know. I often wonder if I would even believe that such a peace could exist if I didn't experience it at a young age. Not in my own life. I was uh, just about to begin, I think, my eighth grade year. It was that summer. My brother had just graduated and he got in a car crash that really should have took his life. 
And the doctor said, and I didn't know this at the time, but the doctors told my parents, he's probably not going to make it, and if he does, he'll never be the same. Okay? His mind's going to be all messed up. His brain was swelling so much they were ready to drill. They they were going to drill a hole in his head in order to relieve the swelling, but that one nurse kind of stepped in and said, don't do that yet. Let's just wait a little longer. Thank God they didn't. And my brother, he was in the hospital for a long time. Even when we brought him home, uh, over a month later, like he just wasn't himself. He'd wake up in the middle of the night and he'd shower at like 2 a.m. Not that he, he might have needed it, but still, it was just, he wasn't all there. And throughout this time, my mom and my dad Yeah, there was concern. Yeah, there was prayer. Yeah, there was tears. But they exhibited a peace that literally went beyond understanding. I didn't understand it. I remember one night, he was doing all these things. They were going to put him in a cage. I could not handle the thought of my brother being put in a cage. I was crying. I was like, don't put him in the cage. Don't put him in the cage. Don't put him in the cage. So one of my parents ended up staying with him. I mean, my, I was not okay. I mean, I was thinking, I'm never going to have my big brother again. I looked up to him. But my parents, they had a peace that surpassed understanding well before they saw the end result. See, that's the peace. The peace doesn't just return when the end comes. God can give you peace before you know the end. In the midst of it, he could say, I'm still with you. And because of that, I began to believe in this peace that surpasses understanding. When I read it, I said, well, I've seen it in my mom and dad. And I want you to know, my brother came through that. He's completely normal now. Well, at least as normal as he was before. Okay, hopefully he watches this later. Okay, at least as normal as he was before, he was equally normal afterwards. I mean, he's he's a pastor now at a church in Kentucky. His life's a living testimony of of God's healing power but before, before we saw the end, God was still faithful there. So if we can remember that, God's with us. He'll enable us to do these things. There's one other thing we, want to, we need to remember, and that's that God writes the end of the story. God writes the end of the story. This should help lead us to perseverance, okay? Because just like I said, before my parents knew They trusted. Well, God is writing the end of your story too. You know, sometimes I'll read a book. I I did this once. I read a book. It was the first book in a series. I read it all the way to the end, and my favorite character, the main character, died. And I told my mom, why did you recommend this book to me? This book is garbage. I, I couldn't believe that the best character died at the end. She said, don't worry. Just keep reading. It gets better. I never did. I stopped right there. That was it for me. I'm done with this series. But you know what? Sometimes that's where we feel. Like, I just don't know how this story could get any better. Let me remind you today that God writes the end of the story. He's writing the end of your story now. And he sees it. You don't see it. I don't see it. And in the midst of it, it's easy to let the the things that are right here in current, the current waves, determine how we feel about, and it's just our faith, we can let it impact it because we just don't see how it could get any better. But God does see. He hears every prayer. He, it says every tear he knows. He, he hasn't forgotten you, and he's writing a good end to your story all the way into eternity. God controls the end of the story. So if you're here today and you feel like I've just lost hope. Can I just remind you of two promises that God gave us just for those times? Just for those times. Romans 8.28 says this, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Does that mean everything is good? No, not everything's good. But God can take not good, God can take downright bad and work it together in a way that he works it together for good. I don't know how he does it, and we're going to see some of that here, and some of it we're going to have to say, 
God, I don't understand, but I still trust you. I don't understand, but I still trust you because you made a promise. You're going to work it together for good. I don't see it yet, but I believe you. And the next one is this, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. That verse was given to Judah right before they were going to be taken away into exile. Right before they were going to be taken and be enslaved. God gave them, you're going to go, all that's going to happen. But just know this. I know the plan I have for you. And it's a good one. It's to prosper you. It's not to harm you. It's to give you hope. It's to give you future. See, God wants to let us know. He wants to encourage you today that if you're in the midst of it and you don't see how it can get better, you don't have to understand. But will you just step out and say, God, I don't understand, but I trust you. And sometimes that's the very thing God can use a trial to teach us. Sometimes the way he can work them out for good is by what he does in us. And that's what he's inviting us to do today. We're going to have Brandon come and just going to play a little bit. And as we close, I just thought we'd end with just a time of prayer. I mean, if you find yourself today at a place where you say, I'm going through something and I don't see how it could get better, but I know God can help me, and you want to come pray, here's an opportunity for you to do that. Okay, just, you can come, just confess it to God. Someone will come and pray with you, be with you. Whatever it may be, no matter what you're facing, can I, can I just remind you again that God is with you? He won't leave you. I'm going to pray, then we're going to open up the altars. If you want to come pray, come pray, and then when we're done, we'll close, okay? Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for you here with us today. God, I'm thankful for these promises that you made us that are so good. God, you said you wouldn't leave us. You said you wouldn't forsake us. And so right now, God, we commit this time to you. Whether we come to the altar and pray or we just pray at our seat, Lord, we trust that you are able to work for good in these situations and that your plan has not been stopped for our lives. You can still work it for good. You still have a plan to prosper us. Lord, work in our hearts now. Build our trust in you, we pray it in Jesus' name.